The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week on episode 120. My goodness, I can't believe we have made it this far and that you, the listener, have stuck with us every step of the way listening to all these episodes, moving your career forward. I love it. Thank you. Thank you so much for downloading this week. I learned something about myself this week that I did not know. I've lived on this planet for 32 years. I like to think I know almost everything I know about myself, but I learned something new about myself this week. It turns out that I really love curling. (laughs) I mean, I've been watching it over this past week, and I was just flipping through the channels. I was like, ah, the Winter Olympics are on. You know, I don't really care about the Olympics that much, but I'll watch it. You know, be a good American, watch my you know, country in the Olympics. And then I saw curling came on and I was just like, oh, this is stupid. And then after, you know, three hours later, I was just like, yeah, get that stone in that house. Woo. And it turns out I really love curling. And that kind of breaks my heart because here's the thing. I live in Miami and I normally love Miami. Miami is my city. I love the weather. I love the people. I love the culture. I love the diversity. Everything about Miami is terrific, except I don't live in a city where curling is a thing. So I'm all into curling. I kind of want to be one of those people. Like it it seems like there's a lot for this thing to offer. It's an indoor sport. I've seen the people that play it. A lot of them are out of shape. So I feel like I could get into this sport as somebody who's also out of shape. And there's like nowhere in Miami that does curling. I'm pretty sure you got to go pretty far to find from where I live to find any place where curling is a thing because it's it's too hot for curling. I mean, the fact that we even have a ice skating rink somewhere in Miami shocks me, but it was so much fun to watch. And I and we actually won at curling. Apparently, the United States beat Canada at curling. And I don't know a lot about curling, but I know enough of it to know that Canada's probably better at it than us. And we beat them in curling, and so that was pretty cool. So it's been a it's been a fun week if you root for the USA and Olympics. We've done some cool things in the winter games, and it's been fun to watch. And I'm sad the Olympics are wrapping up and I and I don't get to just uh you know crazily wrap myself in the American flag for no reason. Um but you know, we'll get another chance in the winter games in twenty twenty. I will uh I'll see you all there. Um, but yes, it was so much fun and I am, I'm in a good mood from watching curling and now I'm in a good mood because our guest this week, how's that for a transition, Sarah Sharp. She's awesome. She's an Austin based singer songwriter. And already you got to like that because if something's coming out of Austin, it's got to be awesome. And Sarah Sharp is no exception. She's, she's so talented. She's great jazz singer. She's had a lot of songs placed on TV shows and commercials. She's got this new song out called you don't dare it's available now you can check it out on her website sarahsharp.com it's a cool song and we're going to play it later on the show so you can get a taste of it and she's going to be she's going to be a great listen she has overcome so much in her personal life and her professional life and i know all of you as musicians as creators as business people you all have your own demons that you're trying to slay you all have your own challenges you're trying to overcome And so hopefully by hearing Sarah's story about how she's had to overcome adversity in her life, 
you'll learn something too, and you'll get motivated too. So stick around for that. I'm excited to talk to Sarah Sharp in the next segment. I'm excited to uh, have you all hear it. We're going to have a great conversation with her together. And so stick around for that. And we're also going to answer a listener question later in the show in the third segment. And this question, without without revealing too much, I'm going to give you a little tease here. That question is going to be all about just setting up every aspect of your music career. Kind of a nice general question. And what's nice about it is that no matter where you are in your music career, whether you're just starting out or whether you've done a whole bunch of stuff like Sarah Sharp has and, you, and you've accomplished a lot, you can probably still learn a lot from this question because it's going to be it's going to really talk about every aspect of your music career. So stick around for that. That's going to be in the third segment. But first, before we bring in Sarah Sharp, before we answer the listener question this week, I wanted to talk about an important topic for all creative professionals, whether you're just starting out or whether you're, again, like Sarah Sharp, and you're doing great things, and you're kicking ass in your music career, everybody needs to, uh, this topic is going to resonate with everybody, and that's networking. I want to talk to all of you about networking and have a conversation about this. I'll tell you, for me, the last couple weeks have been unusually good for me in terms of networking. I don't know what it is. I'm on a good networking streak lately. The last couple weeks, I have had the pleasure of talking with a lot of fantastic musicians, fantastic music business people, fantastic music journalists, and just one one after another. I just keep finding these people in my life that want to talk to me. And a lot of it, I mean, I'm not just taking credit myself. A lot of it is because the people in my network have been so wonderful in referring me to people and I'm referring them to people. And I'm so grateful for the people in my music life that have referred me to other people and have helped me expand my network. You know who you are if you're listening out there and you've helped me with that. Bless you, bless you. But it's gotten me thinking about networking. The last couple of weeks I've been networking. I've been thinking a lot about the importance of networking, especially since I have a lot of musicians coming up to me all the time. And they and, and I get this question a lot, which is, Ryan, I know networking's important and I suck at it. What can I do to meet more people in the industry? How can I create meaningful relationships to help me move my career forward? And so I get that question a lot. And so I want to talk a bit about the things that I do when I network and see if they might help you and have a nice, good general conversation about networking because the timing is good. Uh, Because even as I talk about all this, um, there's some great information that's popped out recently about networking that you might want to check out. There's a great book, or not a book, I'm sorry, a great article um, on how to build a network. It came out last Tuesday in HypeBot, and the article is called How to Successfully Build Relationships in the Music Industry. It was written by Angela Mastro Giacomo, who in addition to having the coolest name in the music business, I think we can all agree on that, is also the CEO of Muddy Paw PR. She's terrific, and this article is great if you want to get better at networking. Again, the article is called How to Successfully Build Relationships in the Music Industry. Check it out on Hypebot. Angela Mastro Giacomo did a great job writing it. She really hits on all a lot of the big points. And so if you're a reader and you like to get your information that way, check that article out. But as for my own thoughts on the subject, I like to think that I have a decent perspective to offer when it comes to networking. And here's why. In terms of my God-given talent, my natural talent when it comes to networking. I have no natural talent when it comes to networking. I naturally suck at networking. I am a bad natural networker. I am socially awkward. I am abysmal 
at having to make small talk. I am terrible at parties, and I'm even worse at conferences, which is, of course, where a lot of networking happens. And so, look, if you see me at a party, at one of these cocktail parties, if you see me at this industry cocktail party, I'm going to be in the corner. I'm going to be sipping a drink. I'm going to be trying to make conversation, failing at it. If you see me at one of these parties, walk up to me. Just give me a hug. Tell me it's going to be okay. Because clearly I didn't want to be at this party. I had to be at it for some reason. And so just tell me, Ryan, I know you're not, I know you don't like these parties. I'm here for you. Big hug. I will very much appreciate it. And so I am not good at the situations where networking happens. And, and here's why that's weird. Because you put me in front of a crowd of people to give a speech. No problem. I, I do that just fine. I don't get the least bit stage fright at all. I can do big crowds. But you want me to have a one-on-one conversation at a party with somebody where I have to make eye contact with them, where I have to initiate a conversation, where I got to look them in the eye. Terrible. My worst nightmare. And I'm telling you all this because I know a lot of you are the same way. I know a lot of you are socially awkward. And so the point I'm trying to get across in all of this is that if somebody like me can build a network. Somebody who's naturally terrible at networking, who has no networking genes. If I can do this, then so can you. And and really, not to toot my own horn, but I'm just about to do it. Hi-oh. Um, not to toot my own horn, but I'm kind of the person you want to get networking advice from. Because it is a challenge for me and I've found ways to overcome it. I've received networking advice from people who are naturally good at networking. It is so unhelpful. They'll tell you something like, oh, yeah, just go walk up to that person and strike up a conversation. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's that easy, because, you know, if I could do that, I wouldn't be terrible at networking. Oh, yeah, just just walk up to a complete stranger. You don't know what they're about. They don't know what you're about, and just strike up a conversation with them. That's really hard for me. I get for some people out there, some of you listening, that's as easy as breathing. But I'm not that person. I can't just... I can't just do that. And so you don't want to necessarily get networking advice from that person because they're naturally good at it. What you want, who you want to get networking advice from is somebody like me who sucks at small talk and has had to develop alternative coping mechanisms to get around that fact and find other ways to build a network. And so now that I've bared my soul and told you a little bit about the kind of person I am and the challenges I have networking, let me tell you a bit about what I do. And some of the ways that I've still managed to build a network, even though I am the worst at cocktail parties and I am the worst at small talk. So here are some of the things I do with networking. And you can try some of these tricks, too, because I think they're going to help you out. What you really want to focus on is networking in ways that play to your strengths, that don't involve you having to walk up to somebody at the cocktail party. And there are ways that you can do that. For example... The best, the biggest way that I network is what I'm doing right now, this podcast. I've talked about this on the show before. Among other things, I mean, the main reason I do this podcast is as a public service to musicians. I want to help musicians because y'all are my favorite people. I love you. But the other reason I do it is that it is my chief networking tool because I can't do small talk, but I can interview somebody, especially when I don't have to look them in the eye and I can talk to them on Skype. And I, and I know that it's not going to be small talk, but rather a deep conversation about things that we believe in and, then, and we know what the topics are ahead of time. That I can handle a lot better than small talk at a cocktail party where there's music playing and I got to look them in the eye. And so you might want to try that too. Anybody can start a blog or a podcast. And when you start one of those, you can have people on your blog. 
And you can have people on your podcast and you can interview them and you can build relationships that way. And you know anybody can do it. And having these platforms, by the way, is already something that's good for your music career. A blog or a podcast is a great promotional vehicle for you. It helps you build an audience. It helps you create a fan base. And so, frankly, more musicians should have podcasts. The musician podcasts I listen to are great, and there needs to be more of them. I think there's, a, there's something to carve out here. And I know what you're probably going to say, because I can already hear the objection. But Ryan, I'm just an artist starting out. I don't know anything about the music industry. What could I possibly do a blog or a podcast about? Well, I don't know. How about do a blog or a podcast about how you're an artist just starting out and you don't know anything about the music industry? That would be a really cool podcast. I gosh, I mean, I'm there. Here I am, just you know, putting ideas in people's heads. I would love, love, love to hear a podcast from a musician that just got started as an indie artist and didn't know anything, didn't know how to record music, didn't know anything about social media, didn't know how to build a website. And just had to start from zero. And I would love for that person to interview experts on the industry every week and learn as they go. And then we get to learn alongside that artist. How cool would that be? And for that artist and for any artist who starts a blog or a podcast, you will be hard pressed to find a better kind of networking because it brings you closer to all kinds of industry professionals. And by the way, it's not as hard as you think to find guests for it to come on a blog or a podcast Everybody's got a free half hour to chat with you on Skype or on the phone. And if you ask them nicely, you're going to get a lot of cool people who want to talk to you. And in the ones who say, no, yeah, it's going to happen. I get a lot of no's for people who want to be on this podcast. Not as many as I did when I started, but they're out there, but that's okay. They say, no, you move on. There's so many people in this music industry who want to talk to you. And look, I'll tell you right now, I'll go on anybody's podcast. So if you're starting a blog or a podcast, and you are looking for that first guest, hello, I'm your guy right here. I mean, there's, I'll go on damn near anything. So there you go. But anyway, and I'll be your first networking connection and I'll connect you to other people. So you got that going for you. But that can be such a great way to build your network in a way that's not having to nervously walk up to somebody at a cocktail party, but rather network with somebody in a controlled conversation in an environment that's yours. And you get to talk about things that matter to you and not just try to make small talk and strike up a conversation at a cocktail party with a bunch of other people. And you're nervous and you're scared and you're socially awkward and you suck at parties. So that's probably my number one way to network. And that's paid off for me so much on the networking side. Other than that, another way to avoid the small talk networking approach is to not have to make it a cold call. It's always easier to network when you have somebody who can refer you. If if you do have to communicate with somebody face-to-face, it's always easier when you have somebody who's already in your network that can refer you. Go to the people you know, especially the people that you've done great work for. If you've played a gig at a venue and you crushed it at that venue, Guessing that club owner, I'm guessing that venue booker, they know lots of people in the music industry who you can talk to to help you move to help you move your career forward. And if you do a great job for them, 99 times out of 100, they're going to refer you to somebody and help you build out that network because, you know, honestly, people people do nice things for you when you ask, but so many people don't even ask. And it's going to be easier to ask somebody that you already built a relationship with than having to make the small talk. And when you come into somebody with a referral, you talk to this new person and say, Hey, so-and-so, a buddy of yours said, I should talk to you. You have a much better chance of that person wanting to have coffee with you, wanting to have that conversation. And if you have to do 
kind of the cold call approach. Instead of doing it at a cocktail party where you're going to be nervous, social media and email work really, really well too. Remember we talked about last week with respect to talking to people on email. Don't spam. Make a direct message to them. Uh, Don't blather on because these people are very busy. They have a lot of stuff going on, but write them a personalized message that They'll know it was written just for them. Don't do not do this thing. God, this drives me crazy when people do this thing. Or I'll follow you on Twitter, and then immediately I get the canned bot message. Thanks for following me. Check out this album, this album, and this website. Like, I know that that's not a personalized message, and I'm so I'm not going to read it because I know you send that to everybody. Now, if I follow you on Twitter, and then I get a real message from you, hey, Ryan, I checked out your podcast I love the stuff you're doing with your book. I think you're really helping indie artists. I appreciate it. I'd love it if you checked out my website and let me know what you think. I'll, 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 if you come at me like that, I'll totally check your website. And the same thing happens with networking. If you write a personalized message where you tell the person that you think highly of them and you just want to talk to them a bit on Skype and learn more about them and you just, or, or, or maybe they're in your city and you want to have coffee with them, they'll do it. And you're going to feel easier doing it that way because the first meeting doesn't have to be small talk at a cocktail party, but rather it's something where you have sort of the protection of the internet when you make that first conversation. It's going to make your life so much easier. And if you can get a referral, if if before you message that person, you, you say to somebody that so-and-so says I should email you and you talk to that so-and-so first and let get their permission to you know, mention their name in the referral, you're going to have a much better chance of getting that first cup of coffee or that first Skype call. And now you're probably going to ask me, well, when I do have that first coffee meeting with somebody, what if I don't need anything from that person at the time? That's okay. That's if you don't need somebody, if you don't need particularly need something from the person you're about to network with, that's okay. In fact, that's even better. Honestly, folks, networking works so much better when you don't ask that person you're having coffee with for something right away on the first business, first visit. You know, people don't like to feel like they're being used. It, just meet with the person because you want them in your network and because you might need them later. It's always good to just have conversations with people, meet them, add them to your network, and you never know when something's going to come along where you're going to want to talk to that person later in life. So don't feel like you have to make the ask right away, and don't feel like you have to need something from that person right away before you network with them. In fact, if you want to go to the even next level, instead of trying to get something from that person on the first networking visit, try to give them something on that first networking visit. Maybe you know somebody that could be useful for them to get to know and connect them together. And now you have somebody who you've done something for and they'll appreciate it and they'll help you out later. In fact, helping others is probably, I mean, if if blogging and podcasting is my favorite way to networking, to network, helping others is my second favorite. Try to be the person in your world that's known for connecting people together. Once you've started to build out this network, when somebody when you meet with somebody, try to you know see what they're looking for. Maybe they're like, man, I really need a good booking agent. I really need to know the guy who works at this venue. I really need a good entertainment attorney. If you happen to know those people because they're in your network, a great form of networking is connecting people together because you're going to build, you're going to strengthen your relationship with the person you just met. You're going to strengthen the relationship with the person you referred them to because you're helping two people. It's, it's magic, baby. And so never lose sight of the best way to help yourself is to help others first. And now let me tell you about this last 
piece of networking that I always recommend, and it's honestly not done enough. And and I and I preface this by saying that when I bring this up, you're gonna think I'm an old man. You're gonna you're gonna all say, "Oh, here comes get off my lawn, Ryan," with his piece of advice. But young people, listen to me. Listen to me. You know, we old people, we have wisdom to share, and this is one of them. Thank you notes. Do not lose sight of the beautiful lost art of the thank you note. Whenever anyone sits down with you and has a coffee with you, when you build that networking connection, if anybody helps you out in some way, if a if a booker book you know if a venue booker helps you get a gig at a show, if a if a if a person who runs a club lets you play at their club, if you get helped by anyone along the way in the music industry, send a thank you note, a handwritten hand-mailed, like with a stamp, and you lick the envelope and everything, thank you note. I swear, people, they'll make all the difference in the world. It makes you stand out, and the person who gets that note is going to appreciate you, and they're going to be less likely to forget you, and they're going to appreciate that you took the time to think of them. And you can even throw your business card in that thank you note if you want, if you think, oh, wow, that's a nice way to get my email address in there. But, but honestly, folks, thank you notes, handwritten thank you notes. So few people do it that if you do it, it's going to really stand out. And it doesn't have to be a long thank you note. The thank you, thank you note cards, they're little anyway. Write three to four lines, personalize it, tell them why you appreciated meeting them, sign it, mail it out, done. It's the best networking you can do. And I mean real thank you notes here, people. Don't email People get so many emails in a day. If you if you send an email, they'll read it and they might appreciate it, but they're not going to appreciate it the same way as getting a hold of thank you note in their hand. You know, because it tells you what you think of them. Wow, this is a person who is so thankful. They took the time to write something down. It probably took them five to ten minutes as opposed to a five to ten second email. Thank you notes, people. I mean, for me, I love thank you notes so much as a networking tool. I make writing thank you notes a regular part of my work schedule. And you might want to consider doing this too. I schedule time in my weekly schedule to write thank you notes every week. For me, it's every Tuesday afternoon, 2 p.m., bam, thank you note time. Even if I don't have anybody to thank on that when Tuesday afternoon rolls around, even if the whole week goes by and I I got nobody to thank, I'll find somebody to thank. If you think hard enough, you'll find somebody. I'll thank the guy who cleaned my gutters. Man, bang up job on the gutters, dude. I really appreciate it. You, you know, I'm, I'm so afraid of heights and you went up there and you took care of it for me. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I'm definitely going to use you again. Signed, Ryan. And, you know, I'll, I'll find somebody to thank. But, and, and there'll be weeks go by where I'll, I'll have to write five to ten of them because so many, I met with so many people in the week. But thank you notes are so, so important. So always, you know, you, you send those out. And for me, I like to keep a record of the people I send thank, thank you notes to and why I sent them. I have a little running list on my practice manager that lets me know who I send notes to because I don't want to, I don't want a situation where I write so many of these notes that I wind up writing a thank you note to somebody twice. And then the sentiment of the note is identical. So I keep records of it and, and I get real with my thank you notes, y'all. I buy the good quality ones on Amazon that even come with little envelopes. And in addition to thank you notes, I also have congratulations notes, which are the same thing, except they say basically congratulations instead of thank you, because sometimes a situation comes around where I don't want to thank somebody in my network for something they did for me, but rather somebody in my network did something awesome. They won an award. They got to the top of a chart or something. And I just want to write them a little something saying, hey, 
congratulations. And oh my God, if I, if you win something and some, and, and I get a thank you note or a congratulations note from them, like, God, that's going to make you feel good. And, and cause it's, man, I, I thought of you, I saw this and I wanted to let you know in a handwritten note, how great it made me feel. So, um, it, so whether it's a thank you note or a congratulations note, it's the same idea. It lets people know you're thinking of them and that you took the time to acknowledge them. So those are some of the things that you can do to network that don't involve cocktail parties, that don't involve the things that make life socially awkward, so that even if you're not the kind of person that's a natural extrovert and can do those things at parties, there are still ways that you can be a great network, great networker and build fantastic relationships in the music industry. All right, Sarah Sharp coming up next. Keep listening to the Break the Business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time. My new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business podcast. She is an Austin-based jazz singer-songwriter whose songs have been featured on the hit TV shows The Good Wife, Cable Girls, and Grandfathered, and in ad campaigns for Chanel, Dell, and Kia. Her single, You Don't Dare, is available now, and you can check it out at www.sarahsharp.com. Ladies and gentlemen, Sarah Sharp is on the Break the Business podcast. Sarah, thank you so much for being on with us. Hi, I'm Thank you for having me. Uh, we are so happy to have you. You have been just doing all kinds of cool stuff lately. A couple months ago, Sarah, you won a grant from the Black Fret Music Foundation in Austin. Congrats on that, by the way. There was some you know, nice money behind that. What was it like to win that grant? What was the competition process like? It's a really amazing organization. Um, and I think they're going to start existing in other cities. That's part of their vision. Oh, that's great so, for other um, artists. Yes. Um, this was, they just finished their fourth year. Each year they nominated 20 bands, and 10 of the bands won the major grant. But during the year, being a nominated band means that you showcase in front of all the members, and the members are, are donors who love music, and maybe they're not out hitting the clubs every night anymore, but they still would love to show up if they had it like sort of curated for them. And so it's a, an entire year of all of these wonderful listening events. And sometimes they're at really unique venues or somebody's amazing house. And um, it's more kind of one-on-one, you, you know, interact with the, the artists and the, and the fans you have a lot more interaction and um, it culminates a big black tie event at the Paramount theater where all the nominated bands played and in between each act, they announced winners. Oh my God. So, uh, yeah. The tension. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and, and actually now even the, um, the bands that don't win the major grant do win a grant. So everybody wins. And so just to clarify, um, were you a major grant winner or a minor? I was a major grant winner. Yeah, you were. Woo. Um, (laughs) And they, I mean, when they initially 
the first year they did grants, I think the major grant winner won $10,000 and their ultimate goal is for it to be 20. And what they just awarded me was, um, either 17 or $18,000. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and there's a whole process to unlock that money. They don't just give you a, a check, but it's a really thoughtful. So um, you have to sort of earn the money along the way. How do you do that? Well, you, there's, there are lots of ways to unlock it. You can record a new, write a new song, record a new song, release a new song. You can release a record. You, each of those things has a different value to it. You could play a show outside of Austin. You can play a show outside of Texas. You can make a music video. Um, you could play a nonprofit event, like have your band, you know, play for um, a local nonprofit. All of those things have a certain value of dollars that it unlocks for you. That's a cool concept. They sort of incentivize you to keep your career moving throughout the year by Yeah, they uh, don't just give you the check. <laughs> well, that'd be nice, but um but mm-hmm. so and you've been keeping yourself busy as a result. I, I read here that you're slated to release four EPs over the course of the coming year. How do you find the time to get all that writing and recording done in such a tight window, particularly because I know you do a lot of live shows. How do you balance it all? Well, the truth is I have been recording that material. And so winning the grant just meant that I had a way to put it out. Um, I, the, it's been a little over a year since I started making these recordings. Mm, so that's interesting. Um, what, what motivated you to want to spread your releases out over EPs if you have them all done already? It's a few factors. Um, I'm, there's a band that I played in for a long time in Austin and it was really niche 1930s, 40s Viper jazz. And that's what most people think of um, me doing. And uh, I left the band when my, when my guitar player passed away and there was just no way to recreate or copy that. And meanwhile, I've, I've always continued to write and record songs more for like production purposes, um, ad campaigns, TV shows, stuff like that, which is not in such a niche genre. But I, I, I felt like people might understand it better if I did these, these, these EPs. Um, my goal is that by the end, people are going to recognize it all as me. And even though I I span a lot of different territory from jazz to pop to rock to Americana and country that by the end, it's going to all be clearly me. Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and the other thing is people just have shorter attention spans now. Even the DJs that I'm friends with um, agreed with my idea that nobody's really, I mean, unless it's, you know, Beyonce's Lemonade. I mean, nobody's <laughs> listening to the entire record that way. So the conventional and, album format hasn't, you know, doesn't really suit you as well anymore. You'd rather put your music out in smaller chunks so that you always have something new for your fans and to compete with their attention spans. Yeah. And to just get a little more life out of, uh, out of, um, you know, there's, there's a lot involved in, in making a record and, and cost and, and, I mean, on the on the listeners and pe- people be just as happy to have five or six songs at a time as they would ten or twelve. Wow. 
Um, makes perfect as sense. As far as now, right now, people's attention span. Right. You know. Well, Sarah, for, um, forgive me for probing about this, but I was intrigued when you mentioned this. You said that you you lost a collaborator of yours, and I only want to ask you about this because I know other musicians might go through similar things. When how have you sort of kept yourself strong and motivated to continue moving in your career when something like that happens? Well, it, I mean, I think that everything I do as a musician, it's, it's more cause I, I can't help it. You know, if it, it's not cause it's easy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and so I, I just think I would completely lose my identity or, or just the rewards of having a life where you're staying true to your soul's purpose. If I didn't keep going that the part about, you know, keeping going is not really, um, a question or even an option. Um, but the man that I played with, he was, he was like a a musical soulmate. He was 77 when he died Had a great life. And he was kind of at the peak of his, um, well, he was definitely at the peak of his notoriety when he passed. So it was a really, really great thing we did. His name was Slim Ritchie. Um, and there's just no, there's no replacing that. It, it was, it was clear that even though that band intended to carry on, that, that, that I, you know, I wasn't in it, not without him. Gosh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Is making this new music therapeutic for you at all? I know you say that you have a you you're always have a drive to make music. Does does making this new music uh, provide some level of comfort and normalcy? Absolutely, and I feel like it go. I I can't wait to to there's in there's kind of an ebb and flow like where being super prolific with writing and then not giving as much time to that because of spending a ton of time recording and, and everything that's involved, you know, with the mixing and the artwork and the everything to get it all out. So all that's like pretty much in the bag. And I am feeling myself pulled to where if I don't, if I don't dive back in and write a bunch of new stuff, I'm going to be really unsatisfied uh-huh. or, um, just like I'm not speaking my truth, I guess. Well, you you are certainly somebody who's very outspoken, not just in your art, but in what you write into the world. I, I was noticing on your Twitter account, you've been posting a lot recently about the school shooting that happened in Parkland. And this podcast, I don't know if you know, is based in Miami, Florida, which is just a stone's throw from Parkland. I, I have business partners and friends who have who live there and have just been really, really wrecked by this. And you said some very strong things about this school shooting. Do you, and on this podcast, we've talked about the responsibilities that musicians might have in being a part of the debate. What what role do you see you as a musician potentially playing in all of this? Well, I mean, as far as how, I mean, I think each, person whether they're a musician or not has a has a duty which is you know number one just to vote (laughs) and actually start to have their voice count um i'm not sure 
I'm I'm not I haven't exactly like written songs about this. I'm not sure as a musician what what my impact is going to be, but but just as a person. And also, I feel I really feel that our thoughts are constantly shaping our reality, our mindset. I I don't have a TV. I mean, I have a Roku. I can watch TV shows. So I have three kids. And um, the other day when the president's voice came on the radio, I just t- changed the channel in despair. And my daughter, who's nine, said, what does he look like? She didn't even know. And I, I, was, I had a proud moment because, she, you know, the, all of these families that are just nonstop with the news in the background or in the room or, you know, this, this other layer of, I mean, it's like, um, Oh my God, I'm blanking the Orwell book. Um, the 1984. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's just being fed. Like how do people not know? And I'm not saying a specific channel. I'm just the addiction to, um, to, being our thoughts are being shaped constantly by well especially by the, on social media like you get inundated social with media it. and the, i mean for people to not just t- t- take a breath and have their have the ability to remember how to think for themselves or return to to what's concrete um i it's it's toxic and the more that these shootings happen, the more that they happen. It just becomes more and more part of the collective. And I mean, you know, when that um, horrible thing happened with the Boston Marathon mm-hmm. and the um, and that guy that they ended up putting him on the front cover of Rolling Stone. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah. The terror. Yes. I had I had subscribed to Rolling Stone forever, and I I never bought it again. I couldn't believe how irresponsible that was. He, the, he was being kid, treated like a pop star, like a pop star, like if some that somebody who you know feels insignificant sees that as a way to go down in a blaze of glory. It it's just sick. Yeah. The reason why I've been asking a lot of musicians about these shootings and these attacks in particular is because a lot of the words that I've heard from students about having the right to feel safe in school, I've heard that sentiment echoed by musicians about the right to feel safe at concerts. I think of what he's ha- what happened in one Las Vegas, for example. Was that, my, one of my best friends was in one of those bands. He was absolutely in that Las Vegas shooting, not just like heard the sounds he was moving injured people oh my gosh and um i mean the ptsd is it it, it, it's a complete life changer we were together for new year's and the sound of fireworks was like i had to help him get through it wow i I've heard so many stories like that. It's it seems you know, in the music industry is a lot smaller than we think and everybody kind of knows everybody mm-hmm. through six degrees. And yeah, I've I've heard 
I've heard a lot of people echo that, that they know they knew somebody who was in Vegas um, or people who were, you know, knew somebody who was at the Ariana Grande concert or they knew somebody who was at the Eagles of Death Metal concert in France. I mean, it's it, it, it really hits us. But I, I it's I, I've just always been uh, intrigued by how I hear a lot of the same thing from musicians in concerts as I do hearing from students about feeling safe in school. Anyway, to, <laughs> to heavy to 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 less. I mean, uh, we need to yeah. talk about it, but at the same time, it's a balance. Like how you don't want to fuel it, you know? It's oof, it's heavy. Well, yeah, because people often see the music you make and the music people make as an escape from those things. So I mean, it's hard to find that balance between you know speaking for the tragedy and and channeling those feelings, but also letting people have a break from it through your art. And creating things that, that bring light. I mean, I think it's all, as you know, our, as far as like our consciousness and our collective consciousness. I mean, it's, there, we, we have, there are ways to keep it, you know, a more, a higher vibration, I guess you could call it, you know, what the things you create and what it, how it inspires and affects people. And I'm not saying like, I mean, there's plenty of stuff that I write and songs where I am expressing true sadness and despair, but I mean, it's not the same thing as the type of darkness, anger, rage, judgment, cynicism that we're getting fed from so many other places. And Musicians still have the opportunity also to to lift. I mean, like, uh, think about the when people are at a concert and there's that collective surge of of like sheer joy and and people being moved, yeah, by an amazing show. I mean, that, I mean, I mean that humans, that's powerful. <laughs> that I mean, that's it's powerful. Like it, it really is like an energy that just goes through the whole crowd. So, with your, just I mean, out of curiosity, your your latest song, uh, your single that's out uh, now at sarahsharp.com, You don't dare. What place does that come from? Um, <laughs> it comes from. I mean, it's it's basically about that. That's it's not a super serious song. I mean, yeah, it's basically about lighthearted. You know. Pe- people um I, I guess when you when you've when you've tried your hand at love and you've seen it from all different angles and you've had it go well and you've had it not go not so well and there's a connection there's something going on might as well just go all go all in I don't mean in a like completely devoted way but just see it all the way through and even if it's going to be a complete disaster like go ahead and find that out like <laughs> instead of um instead of treading so lightly just in case something might hurt. Well, I mean, that that's really why I dug the song when we were listening uh, to it here and I was playing it for some people because it really fits kind of sort of in the theme of our podcast about going for it, at least, you know, in, in your ambitions and in, in the things you want to accomplish as a creative. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, people, people, you know, we certainly resonate, you know, enjoy that message around here. And frankly, we've been, we've been so, morose on this interview talking about these serious topics i welcome the Mm -hmm. chance to play your song right now on the podcast and just let everybody feel good is that is that all right sure thank you awesome (laughs) all right here's here's you don't dare on the break the business podcast 
That was the latest single by Sarah Sharp, You Don't Dare, on the Break the Business podcast. You can check it out at sarahsharp.com. Sarah, for the people who want to learn more about you, who are digging the stuff that you're doing, where can people find you on social media? Um, Instagram and Facebook and Twitter, all that stuff is 
Sarah Sharp ATX, which, because I'm from Austin, Texas. So oh, that, that's got to be a fun ATX. place to be a musician. <laughs> it what is. A, what a cool community down there. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, we're all we're all living the dream and also you know clinging clinging on for dear life to <laughs> <laughs> to actually live in Austin. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, Sarah, this has been really powerful for me um to you know hear somebody who's got the insight that you have that's achieved the things that you have and is most importantly overcome the things that you have i'm really inspired let me close with this it's the question we ask everybody at the end of the interview do you have any last tips to share with the indie artist listeners out there to help them move their careers forward sure i think um you can't go wrong if you return to the actual like place of being true to the music, the, the actual way that you're expressing yourself, the way that you're creating, recording, performing, whatever it is. To, when people get all in their heads about the idea of themselves, the idea of how they will be received, the idea of other people, you know, revering or acknowledging what they're doing, and and that's more important than the actual thing that the moment of the music it's just it's kind of a waste i feel like that's been a a theme for you about your career and granted i'm only just drawing from this from the answers i've heard to your questions but it seems Mm -hmm. to me that that's all that's been sort of a guiding light for you to you know always come back to the music and your passion for the music and that's really you know been that's really paid off for you in your your creative life i imagine well it it's a it's a heartbreaking business sometimes, you know? So if you can have your center be just a pure connection to the, to the, to the, your, to the music, to the purity of it, the, the sense of like your soul's purpose, right um, it's a safe place. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much for opening your heart to us. This was powerful and inspiring. And I am overjoyed that you shared these, uh, and just so heartened that you shared these experiences with me. Um, thank you very, very much. And please don't be a stranger. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Thank you so much. Thank you, Ryan. We'll be right back on the Break the Business podcast. Friend of the show, John Ratzenberger here with Ryan Carella, author of Break the Business, declaring your independence and achieving true success in the music industry. Available on Amazon.com. Ryan, tell the folks a little about the book. Well, the book's about empowering Well, artists. that's fascinating, Ryan, but it's only a 15-second commercial. Thanks. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Sarah Sharp for joining us in the previous segment. Keep an eye out for her new EPs coming out this year and give a listen to her new single, You Don't Dare, by visiting www.sarahsharp.com. You can rate, review, and subscribe to the Break the Business podcast on our four platforms, iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and Stitcher. And you can email the Break the Business podcast if you have any questions you want us to answer on the air. We have a great one this week. Uh, any show topics you want to propose, whether it's in the world of music or even pop culture, we'll talk about anything you want us to talk about. You can email us at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I answer pretty much every email that comes in. So if you took the time to email me, you better believe I will email you back. Or if you just want to let us know how we're doing, again, breakthebusiness at gmail.com. I, people ask me all the time what they can do to support the podcast, what can they do to help us move forward, and 
what I say to them all the time is in addition to the rates and the reviews and, you know, telling people about us on social media and things like that, there's really no substitute for telling a friend. Just tell somebody out there that's in the music industry, an artist or somebody who loves artists or somebody who wants to learn more about the music business or entertainment law or anything like that. Tell them about us. Tell them how they can download us. And honestly, if you pay it forward that way, that's good enough for me. That would make me very happy. And uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R or like the Break the Business podcast on Facebook. Just go to Facebook.com slash Break the Business. We do have a question this week. And uh, here we, I'm going to answer this and then we'll sign off for this week and uh, enjoy our our coming week and hope we can all kick ass on it together. But I do want to close with this one because I think it's a nice good, broad question that no matter where you are in the music business, no matter how far along you are in your career, you can learn from this. So here's the question. Hey, Ryan, what's up? Okay. I actually have to say it that way because I'm looking at the question here and the person who wrote it put, Hey, Ryan, what's you, 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 P, which I assume has to be pronounced as up. So again, Hey, Ryan, what's up? So this is going to sound super general, but Can you talk about some of the basic stuff that I need to have for my music career, like setting up company, for example, or setting up a company, for example? Okay, um, that is super general. (laughs) There's a lot. So basically, you just want me to summarize my whole book in five minutes. Well, yeah. By the way, the book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry, you can find it on Amazon, uh, uh, ebook, audiobook, and paperback. Check it out, amazon.com, search, break the business. But yeah, they, they kind of just want me to be super general. But you know what? You ask the question, I'll answer it. All right, so let's talk about some of the general stuff that you need if you're starting up a music career. You can kind of consider this a checklist. I don't think it's going to be exhaustive. There's going to be stuff I miss, and if I miss it, please don't send me hate mail. Um, you know, I'm just trying to do this off of the top of my head, best of my knowledge. And let me open with this disclaimer. So everything I'm about to tell you is not legal advice. I'm an attorney, but we're not attorney client right now. Every case is different. And if you're going and your particular career context is going to be different. And while this information might be helpful to you, you're going to want to talk to an attorney in your jurisdiction who can give you specific advice to help you in your specific situation. But here is a kind of a checklist of some of the things you could want to do to set up, to have set up in your music career. First things first, if you don't have an entity for your music career, such as a S corp or an LLC or something like that, if you have enough money to lose, if someone were to sue you and you just need to keep your business activities separate, the moment that you can afford it, setting up a corporation or an LLC can be very, very good to do. This is something that uh, you can have a lawyer do. If you're savvy, you might be able to figure it out on your own. Sites like LegalZoom might be able to help you, but you'd want to set up an LLC or some kind of pass-through S-Corp in whatever state you're in. And uh, you can set that up. And once you set that up, the next thing you're going to want to set up is a tax ID number. This is basically a social security number, but for this new LLC that you've created. And you're going to want this because... If you're going to file taxes, you need that your your organization needs that social security number for itself, this EIN as they call it. And when you set up a bank account, which you're going to need to set up for this entity, because you're going to want separate banking for all your music career activities, the bank's going to need the EIN number. 
it's really easy to get an EIN. You can go online, you go to the IRS website, you Google search, you know, get EIN. You can, you know, in most cases, you can get yourself an EIN pretty easily for your LLC or corporation in less than five minutes. Unlike many things involved with dealing with the government, getting an EIN is actually surprisingly easy to do. And then again, once you have that EIN, next thing you're going to need a bank account for your LLC. This is important for a lot of different reasons. One, now that you've created this new business entity for yourself, you're going to want a way to keep your finances separate. You're going to want to do as much as you can to make sure that your personal assets aren't used for your music career and your music assets aren't being spent on personal things. You want to keep those things separate. And a good way to keep those things separate is to have separate bank accounts for both. You get a debit card for your music company. You get checks for that music company. And when you have to pay for musical instruments, you can do that through the bank account. When you have to pay for equipment for your music career or studio time, you do that all through your business bank account. And not only does it keep your assets separate, which is good for you know maintaining your corporation and, and you know in the event of lawsuits and things like that, there are a lot of reasons why you're going to want to keep your accounts separate that are beyond the scope of this discussion. But you're going to want to keep them separate. And the other reason why is it makes things a lot easier for your accountant come tax time. Because now instead of having to go through all your bank statements and figure out, okay, that was business, that was personal, this is business, this is personal, now you got it all in one bank account. And you can go through those bank statements and easily figure out the stuff that's deductible and not deductible for your business. And uh, getting something like QuickBooks, for example, can be huge in that regard. It can really help you set your finances up in a way that's easy for your accountant to figure out come tax time. Oh, by the way, that's another thing you're going to need, an accountant to help you handle your taxes. In terms of what you can deduct and what you can't deduct for your music career, it can get really tricky. And this tax stuff can get pretty complicated. And you're going to want somebody who knows this stuff, who's licensed and can file your taxes for you. Um, as expensive as it might be, it's more expensive to try to, you know, to do it yourself and to take the risks that might come with it. Uh, you know, there are lots of accountants out there that are experienced with working with musicians and entertainers that have their own LLCs, and they can really help you out there. So you're going to want that as well, especially come tax time, because you might need to file quarterly and things like that. Next thing you want to do to move through the general list of stuff, register your copyrights. If you don't have your copyrights registered and all the songs and sound recordings that you created and you own, you're putting yourself at serious risk. You're, you still technically have a copyright from the moment you create a work, but if you don't register it, you don't have a lot of legal protections for it. You want to have those copyrights registered. And uh, you can have a lawyer do that. Um, You could probably even figure out how to do it yourself if you're pretty savvy. I know lawyers never recommend to do things yourself, but if, if you're pretty savvy, you might be able to figure it out if it's a simple copyright. Otherwise, get a lawyer to help you. Next thing in the intellectual property world, you might want to register trademarks in your artist name. So if you have a distinctive enough name as a musician, you can register that in goods and services classes like recorded music or live performances. Registering copyrights is a little trickier than register. Sorry, registering trademarks is a little trickier than registering copyrights. So you might need a lawyer to help you out here. So I mean, these are going to be things that, when the when the time is right, when you have the when you have the finances to do these things, get these things taken care of as soon as possible. There is no property that you have in your music career that is more valuable than your intellectual property, your copyrights, your trademarks, your brand. This is where all the value lies in your music career. You want to make sure these things are protected. How do you get them protected? 
you get them registered. Register those copyrights, register your trademarks and your name. Um, you want to set up, uh, now you got to set up accounts to, to handle your administration of your publishing and of your sound recording. So you want to make sure you're getting all your publishing royalties, all your public performance royalties, all your mechanical royalties for when your songs are sold on iTunes or played on Spotify. And you need a company to collect those things for you. A publishing administrator is what you want to go with there. Companies like CD Baby and TuneCore have publishing administrators. I like a company called Song Trust. I feel like they do a really good idea, a really good job. They can even set you up with a performance rights organization like ASCAP, BMI, or CSAC that will help you uh, collect your performance royalties for when your music is played on the radio or in bars and clubs or even on Spotify. So you can check that out. You also want to get a sound exchange account to make sure that the royalties for your Digital internet radio type sound recordings are paid to you. You go to Sound Exchange and set that up. You also want to have a music distribution service to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, Pandora, things like that. Um, there are companies like CD Baby and TuneCore and DistroKid that can do that for you. If you want a good analysis on some of these different uh, services, you can go to episode 102 of this podcast. We talk a little bit about it. And the website Ari's Take has a great article about breaking down the different music distribution services. You should check that out at ariestake.com. There are other ways you can get your music distributed as well. Uh, set up a SoundCloud account to put your music on SoundCloud. You can set up a Bandcamp account to get your music on Bandcamp if you're looking for other ways, uh, other places to put your music. Uh, setting up a YouTube account, also important. If you if you have a distinctive name, you want to get that YouTube account in your name, you can put all your songs on YouTube, you can put music videos on YouTube, and if you have other music content or even just other entertainment content, you can make funny videos, you can do a video diary, a vlog, and put all that on YouTube. Video is such an important tool for you as a musician. We've talked about it on podcasts in the past. Not only is YouTube important for your music career, but it's just, it's the way that people consume all kinds of creatives these days, and you want to make sure you have your YouTube account looking sharp uh, before you try to move too forward in your music career. Another big one, and this is something where I wish more artists were did this more, have a good website, have a good email list. If you don't have a website for your music career, there is no time like the present. Even a simple one-page website that has your bio and has your booking information, has a few songs of yours, even that's better than nothing because that's enough that a show booker can find out about you and a podcaster like me can find out about you before an interview and get all the information they need to know to you know, use you and help you move your career forward. So get a website together. Even a little one-page website is better than nothing. And start building that email list because uh, those email lists are worth their weight in gold and they can really help you cultivate relationships with your fans. And of course, if you haven't done it already, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, whatever kind of social media you want to do, you want to have those things set up. And look, social media is not a website. A Facebook profile is not a website. A website is not a Facebook or Twitter profile. You need both. Don't don't try to use your Facebook or Twitter as a substitute for a website. You still need a website. You still need your own piece of real estate as an artist that is yours and that can't be adversely affected by a change in algorithms as many as happened to many people on Facebook. So to answer your question, listener, those are some of the things that you can look at. 
registering a corporation or an LLC, getting a tax ID number, getting a bank account, getting an accountant, registering your copyrights, registering your trademarks, setting up a publishing administrator account, setting up a distribution account with CD Baby or TuneCore, SoundCloud, get that going, uh, Bandcamp, get a YouTube account set up, website, email list, social media. There you go. Any one of those (laughs) question asker could have been its own episode, but you wanted something general. So I gave you something general. If there's anything on that list that you have not yet checked off in your music career, now might be a good time. No time like the present. But again, some of these things get really tricky, such as registering a trademark. Know when you need a lawyer to help you out uh, because you don't, you don't want to go cheap when it comes to your music career, when it comes to your livelihood. Get the kind of legal advice that you need. Our thanks to Sarah Sharp for joining us this week. She was terrific. Be sure to check out her new single, You Don't Dare, by visiting www.sarahsharp.com. And my thanks to you all, as always, for being so fantastic, for doing so much great stuff for your music career and moving it forward, and for listening to the Break the Business podcast along the way. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We'll see you next week.